If you have an interest in horses and love learning more about horses, the horse industry, teaching, or even managing your own horse business, then you're in the right place. We would love you to join us on our mission, which is to improve the lives of horses around the world through the education of riders, handlers, and trainers. So get comfortable, listen in, and enjoy. Horse welfare and safety are of utmost importance where humans have any interaction with horses. Within the courses at International Horse College, we only utilise methods that promote safe and humane ways of interaction between horses and humans. We only support safe methods of educating riders, handlers and trainers about horse welfare. Internationalhorsecollege.com Registered Training Organisation 31352 Our guest today is Karen Cromlin. Karen's an FEI dressage specialist, coach, trainer and competitor and she was also breeding some lovely, lovely Hanoverian warmbloods. We're going to bring in today the combination of her breeding and producing performance horses. She comes in from a rider's perspective and um, has entered breeding that way. How are you, Karen? I'm very well, thanks, Glennis. Karen, we normally start off with a favourite quote. Have you got one for us? <laughs> My favourite quote, forward yep. is always the answer. Okay. And you obviously use that a lot with your coaching? Uh, sometimes, mm-hmm. if, if it's the right question. But um, obviously it means that you have to keep the horse forward thinking. They have to want to do the work and, yes. yeah, you don't ride backwards ever. I think that there would be a good life one as well. You know, always thinking yeah, forward, thinking for the future yeah. as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, indeed. Yeah, it's once it's done, it's done, and <laughs> you know, don't keep it washing around in there. It's usually not helpful. Yep, yep. Now, did someone tell you that quote, or how did you start it off? No, I don't remember where I read it or picked it up, but it's just something that's always stuck with me. That as a rider. Yep, yep. Mm. I'm besides that. Really means that I'm also not very keen on gadgets or quick fixes or anything that the fundamentals have to be in place you know a go button in the horse yes yes all right Karen we're going to start off just letting us know how you started with horses Mm, how I started with horses Mm. I was one of those crazy obsessed children from when I was like three years old I was put on the back of a horse bareback at the mm-hmm. local riding school, mm-hmm. which was Wallens in oh, William yeah. in Brisbane. Yep. Yeah, very well-known family. Yep. And um, I rode a little brown pony called Tip Top, and it was the family joke that I had fallen off this pony every way known to man, <laughs> and that was probably right. But I also had a hobby horse, and my mother would tell you that I used to wear the wheels out on my hobby horse. <laughs> I used to just gallop around the house constantly on a horse. My mother couldn't take me out shopping with her without having to stop at the paddock where the horse was to feed the horse bread. Just, yeah, that just completely horse obsessed from a very, very early age. And what about your parents? Did they have horses? Was there any background there? No, no, no. We lived in suburbia. The only connection was my father who was a 10-pound pom Mm -hmm. when he first arrived in Queensland, worked on a station at Winton. Mm -hmm. I have a photo of him riding a horse out there. So possibly from that, you know, there's something there in that sort of part of the family tree that mm, filtered mm. through some sort of craziness. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so you've gone on from there and, you know, taken to dressage, to competitions, but it's the breeding I really want to know. How did you start with the breeding? 
What gave you the idea? Yeah, well, I had grown up, uh, my parents got divorced when I was about 12, mm-hmm. and my mother became interested in the thoroughbred industry. I had horses at that time, so I was riding, but my mother was non-horsey. But for some reason, she decided she was going to breed a few thoroughbreds, and so she bought a very nice thoroughbred mare, and off we went. We started breeding a couple of thoroughbred foals every year. She had shares in a syndicated horse called Blues Finito, who Jim Kennedy raced and then retired to stud. And so I used to go up to the Darling Downs with her, to the studs with the mares, etc. So for that, understood how that worked, you know, the breeding of foals and choosing stallions, etc. And yeah, really loved it, of course, because it's very interesting. It's yeah. an interesting process mm-hmm. to try and improve your mare by yep. choosing a certain stallion. Yep. And yeah, and so that was that was sort of my early introduction to it. And it was only much later on in my 30s that I decided I would buy a mare, a warm blood mare, to breed warm blood horses for dressage. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you're already riding and competing at that stage. So you already had a bit of an idea of what you wanted as a competition horse? Yeah, I did, but it probably wasn't a very good idea because in, <laughs> in those days, you know, I'd grown up riding thoroughbreds. Mm. There just weren't warm bloods in that era. Mm-hmm. And so I had never actually had a warm blood horse until I bought this first mare that I was also going to use to be the foundation mare in the breeding program, but it was going to be via embryo transfer. So I had this very, I actually wrote a business plan. I had this very ambitious plan in my head that I would buy this young warm blood mare, I would compete her and get her credentials there, and then I would, by embryo transfer, have folds from her to sell. Yeah, the plan didn't quite go accordingly, but anyway, that's the start of it. So what would happen when you say the plan didn't go accordingly? Was she a Hanoverian? No, she wasn't. She was from Val stud in the Hunter Valley. She was a gullet mare mm-hmm. and she was actually, so she was Dutch warm blood, by Dutch warm blood out of a trochanter mare. And yeah, as it turned out, she was quite a bit tricky and we were in Cairns at the time. That was where we lived because that's where my husband and I were working. Not a really great place to breed horses Mm -hmm. and so we really didn't embark on the breeding side of it until we relocated from Cairns to just outside of Toowoomba and meanwhile I'm riding my mare, Jerry, her name Mm -hmm. was and she was a lovely mare and I loved her dearly but I pretty much abandoned the idea of breeding from her fairly rapidly because she was quite difficult in her temperament and yeah, it was very expensive. It still is. Embryo transfer is very expensive. And I just decided, no, this wasn't the right way to proceed and that I would just keep riding her and we would buy some mares to breed from, to use as our brood mares, dedicated yep. brood mares. So that's okay. what we did. All right. Because, I mean, both the horses that you produce, that you're riding at the moment and competing on, you produce both of them. So there must have been a bit of a gap. What way did you go? You know, what made you think, I I want a different way here? I want something that I can ride, something with trainability? 
Oh, just general education, you know, as you, you know, you start to look into it and research it more and I learned more about the bloodlines and so then I decided I wanted to focus on the Hanoverian breed because I perceived that it was, you know, producing the best dressage horses yep. in the world. Mm-hmm. Some would dispute that, but for me that they, you know, had all the right foundations in place. We had some good Hanoverian lines here in Australia mm-hmm. and so when where we relocated to was quite close to Kenordi Stud yes that Holger and Melanie Schmall had at yeah. that time and they had some lovely stallions there and that was in fact the first broodmare we purchased was at one of their auctions she was a Graf Landau mare mm-hmm. and she was a fantastic mare we only unfortunately put her down only recently, she was 21 years of age. She had 11 folds for us. Mm. The first fold she ever had for us ended up as an elite mare in Australia. And that mare, who is now owned by Ros Lip, who owns Edward Saddle, World in Toowoomba, subsequently for Ros produced champion Hanoverian foal in Australia. Mm-hmm. So, and the mare who was just incredibly hardy and thrifty and fertile and just everything you wanted in a brood mare. Okay. So that was what we went to. And then we got some thoroughbred mares and bred up from them. And then we decided we would use mainly frozen semen. So that became our focus, that we would get the best bloodlines from Europe via using frozen semen. And and in those days, it wasn't as common as it is today. It mm-hmm. was, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's how we sort of established the breeding program sort yeah. of 15 years ago in the early days. Yep. It's a small yep. group of mares and bred up from them. And we were very fortunate. We had extremely good vet services, still do, in the area. It's a very horsey area, of course. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, so we were lucky. We we did very well with frozen semen. Good, good. I think that's good. It sort of explains. And it it hasn't been all good. It hasn't been all easy. But there are, you know, you've certainly produced some lovely horses from from your start. Yeah, well, mm, breeding is a numbers game, of course, and you're always going to have good and bad. You're Mm. going to have, you know, years when it doesn't go according to plan. You'll have losses, and that's the saddest and hardest part Mm -hmm. is when you have, you know, a mare that slips a foal or a dead foal. Over the years, we actually had very, very few incidences like that probably largely because we were only small in number and you can micromanage yes. when you have the, the smaller numbers, much harder if you're a big stud with, you know, 100 yep. broodmares, then, yep. then the numbers of tragedies become more. Mm, mm, mm. All right. Now, I'm going to go on because just generally, I mean, you teach and you come across a lot of young people who want to have a career with horses. Yep. What do you think if someone wants to go on work with horses, whether – they want to work breeding horses, work in a stud, work coaching, work as a lots of things. What sort of character traits or core skills do you think someone needs to work with horses? Huge dedication mm-hmm. and a very good work ethic because that is not an easy path to choose in life. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I've coached lots of young girls who are horse mad and they want to go and you know, ride in Germany and do things like that. And I yeah, I try not to be discouraging, but I try to say to them, try to pursue an education and have that as your backstop mm. if the other plan fails. Mm. Mm. <laughs> is the uh, way, you know, because it is yeah. incredibly hard work to, yes. to work in a horse industry. Yes, yeah. 
All right. And what about people who've helped you along your way? Well, I've had lots of people help me along the way. From my earliest days when I was in Pony Club, I was actually given a ride, rides on hacks by a very kind couple in the Pony Club who must have seen something in me that they decided that I could ride for them mm-hmm. and uh, Bob and Stella Wood and they, yeah, they put me on a horse and away I went and riding for them and they carted me around to horse shows including all the way to Sydney Royal and all over the place and that gave me a lot of knowledge and mm-hmm. experience to mm-hmm. be able to ride their horses for them and then... Oh, when I was a teenager, I had lessons with a lady called Olive Nunn. I had Vince Corvey. So I had, you know, some really, even in those early days, some really fantastic coaches. Ron Patterson, I remember having lessons with out at Albany Creek at Brisbane mm-hmm. Active Riders Group, going back a long way. Yep. And, you know, then later on, people like Christine Doan trained a lot with Rosie Ryan, and Rosie was tremendously encouraging, is tremendously encouraging always. Just such a lovely lady. And then probably most recently, the person who as a rider I've spent the most time training with and I'm just so grateful to be able to do that is Leonie Brammel, who comes from Germany mm-hmm. to coach here in Australia, normally about four times a year. She's just, you know, it's just so amazing to have a world-class coach like that and be able to take your own horses to her. And she definitely, I would say, is the biggest influence on me as a rider and a coach. Okay, okay. And if I can even transport 10% of her knowledge to anyone I coach, I'll be happy. How long have you been working with Leonie? I first went to Leonie in Germany for lessons about, 15 years ago Mm -hmm. and on Christine Bone's recommendation because I was actually going across Germany. I had two goals in my head. One was to ride a Grand Prix schoolmaster, Mm -hmm. which I succeeded in doing. Mm -hmm. The second was to drive around in, in the Hanoverian breeding district and look at as many stallions as I could to get my eye in for the stallions and the traits of the stallions. And so that's what my husband and I did. We spent three weeks driving around in Germany and having I had lessons with three different trainers actually, but Leonie amongst them, mm-hmm. and looking at all these fantastic stallions. And that was incredibly helpful. I probably should go back and do it again, but it's just not that easy to... <laughs> everything and sure, go sure, to Germany sure. and do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, now all those people, you've talked about a couple of horses. Who do you think of you, if you've got a horse that's influenced you? You know, can you pull out one or a couple that you think these these horses have changed the way I ride, changed the way I think about horses, changed the way I do things? Well, I won't, I won't focus on any negative ones. <laughs> I'll only focus on the positive ones because we've all had those horses in our history oh, that sure. we wished we didn't have to ride. Yep. But I had a very fantastic mare. So the first mare that I bought, as I mentioned before, was Argentile Germain, mm-hmm. Jerry, who yep. was a very slightly difficult horse but on the ground, but actually really lovely to ride, but perhaps not quite as talented. The canter was a bit not so easy. Mm-hmm. It was a very big canter and so it made collection difficult and the changes difficult. Fantastic trot. But, you know, I had a lot of fun on her. I, you know, enjoyed her tremendously. But the second horse that I had after her was the one that I was very fortunate to get, 
a horse called Belcam Abbey, who was an Arkan mare, and she was the one that took me up to the FEI levels. And um, whilst we didn't get to Grand Prix, we trained all the Grand Prix work together, and she was just a wonderful, wonderful horse. And I wish I still had her today. <laughs> I wish I had her today with the knowledge that I have now. Yep. But that's, you know, unfortunately was not to be. But she just taught me so much and gave me so much confidence as a rider. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And what about the two horses that you've got now that you compete in? Mm-hmm. Well, the, the older one, they're actually both at the same level. Mm-hmm. The older one, Elite Rouge Homme, Redmond. Um, is by Rochbon out of the thoroughbred mare, so we bred him. And he had a really, really successful career as a young horse just starting out. The first year out in official competition, he was runner-up, newcomer horse of the year. He went to the nationals at novice level. He placed in one of the novice classes down there, which was really a huge effort for a, basically a homebred horse you know, mm-hmm. and a half-bred. Mm-hmm. When I looked around at all the other people on the horses that were uh, with me on the, getting the rosettes, you know, Judy Dirks and Tor and <laughs> Emma Flavelle, and, yeah, yeah. you know, and they're all on, a lot of them were on pretty fancy imported horses. Mm-hmm. I was just sort of like, wow, this, that's pretty good. And he's, you know, he's he's still ticking along. He's ready to do pre-St. George, but he's had a very checkered career with injury, as you do get those sort of horses. So. Mm-hmm. Each time I've I've got him to the point that I, I think, yep, now we're ticking along and we're going to push on and on, then, uh, you know, something seems to go wrong. Um, but anyway, he's he's going well at the moment. I enjoy riding him very much and hopefully he steps up into the FEI ranks next year. Mm-hmm. He can be a little bit spooky in indoor arenas, which makes him slightly challenging. The other one that I have is also a frozen semen horse by a horse called Doncier and a mare, and I absolutely love her to bits. She's a Doncier out of a Contango to Königsberg mare, so she's got a little bit of dash of Tracana on the dam line, which I really, really like. She's black and she's little, and, yeah, I'm very fortunate to be riding her. She's really flying up the levels very rapidly. She's eight now, and she's ready well and truly to step into Pre-St. George next year and is already training short steps and such. So she's hopefully going to be a horse for the future for me. And I'm actually trying to replicate her by breeding (laughs) using Doncier again out of a Weltmeyer mare we have because I would really like another one of her. (laughs) Okay, okay. Now, what's been your proudest moment? What do you think that's been? Probably that what I mentioned before, when I was at the Nationals that time, yeah. that was huge. Like that was really a big, big field of horses, 35 horses. And even though it was only novice level, it, like he had to crack 70% to get up there on that podium. Yep. And it was, yeah, I remember standing there thinking, wow, this is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I'd been to the Nationals before. I'd actually been in medium level with Argentile Germain. And she didn't get a ribbon, but she was like, I think she was top 15 in one class, which was pretty good. That was Mm. pretty good in medium, I Mm. thought, for my first go at the Nationals. Yep. And I'd been to Sydney CDI and placed in young horse classes, but I'd never, never been at the Nationals before and placed Mm. like that. Mm. So, yeah, Mm. that was probably, yeah, 
the most fun. And and also being at the Sydney CDI with horses that I've bred, and it's happened a number of times now with mm-hmm. different horses, yes. where I've taken them down for young horse classes and they've placed top 10. That's a really cool feeling, knowing you're on a horse that you've not only bred, <laughs> but you've trained and it's up there. Okay, good. And thinking of all the, you know, because you'd said about ups and downs and injuries and everything else, mm-hmm. what do you think's been your biggest challenge? Distance. Okay. Distance that you have to travel constantly for events, you know. It's even for me, it's, you know, there's some shows, of course, in Toowoomba where I am. But, you know, basically now every time I want to compete, I have to put my horses on the truck and drive to Brisbane, to Cusack, Caboolture. So it's a three and a half hour drive, one each way. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if I want to go to Sydney, then it's a two day drive. Yeah, and I think my, a lot of riders would say the same. I'm not unique with that. Mm. But because I'm in Toowoomba, I am that little bit further mm. out. That does make it difficult. Yes. Yep. All right, just thinking about when you are out competing but also coaching, mm-hmm. what do you think is a common problem or a common thing that holds people back, holds horses back, holds their results low? Um, is there a common thing that you see? And also talk about how to fix it. Oh, that's a tricky question. Um, <laughs> it's a very broad one. Yeah, broad yeah. question. No, I yeah. think one thing that I really, as a coach, I, will, I really discourage people from thinking negatively. Mm-hmm. I think you must never have negative self-talk. You must always, like everyone is guilty of when they come out of a test of going, oh, I could have done this or it could, we're all perfectionists and I could have done that. <laughs> But I think you've got to go into it with the mindset of this is my moment, this is what I trained for, this enjoy it and just go for it and don't sort of have anything in reserve. That doesn't mean that you ride hell for leather, you like you've still got to ride your test as you would, but you know, just don't have a negative headset as you go in. Try to be positive about yourself and your horse. Even if you think you're in a company of Horses that appear fancier or better or whatever, you know, just enjoy it. Enjoy the fact that you're there because that really starts to become much more, uh, I think, much more important when you're going to big shows like the Sydney City Eye or that, where it can be intimidating to be in the warm-up with, you know, Brett Barbary and Rosie Ryan and whoever, you know, and you're on your own homebred horse and they're on some fancy imported you've just got to enjoy the moment and think well you know I'm here and enjoy it and my horse is good otherwise I wouldn't be here and I'm good otherwise I wouldn't be here (laughs) yeah yeah yeah. no I think that's a good a good mindset and a good thing to think of just as you're out there competing warming up yeah I mean that's not to say you don't know what you have to fix or improve in your horse as you're warming up Mm. it's just to say don't focus on the negatives that you might know that your horse has you know if your horse whatever they are and every horse has some bits of its training that is not as good as others let's say or you know aspect you don't focus on that mentally just Mm. try and think of the good things and focus on you know making the trot more expressive or whatever oh just let me interrupt you for a moment just to let people know about the horse industry qualifications at online horse college have a look at the flexible options with online theory the practical components can be completed by video or with a qualified expert in your area. That website again is onlinehorsecollege.com. Okay, thanks. 
I think before, you know, when you were talking about forward is the answer and about laying the fundamentals before people go on, mm. do you think mm. there's a common thing in, you know, it's, it's it's still broad if you say teach the horse the fundamentals before they go on and, you know, hit medium or anything, but is there a common thing there that people can, that's missing with the fundamentals, do you see? I don't know about missing, but I think people still, still when I'm coaching, I'll often ask people who when they first come to me for a lesson, I'll, I think there are sometimes riders that have been, you know, they're not 12-year-olds, they're mm. people that have been out riding for a while, and I'll say to them, do you know what the German training scale is? Mm. And some of them will look at you like, no. And I think, well, hang on, how can you be in a sport you know, you, as a part of your sport, you have to understand what that scale is, is my view. You have mm-hmm. to understand it. And I think as a trainer and a coach, you have to keep coming back to it. So, you know, r- rhythm, relaxation, contact, first yeah. three elements. If they're not in place, then you don't really go on much, is the way I would describe it. And then, you know, so it's no good having, you know, the next bit, impulsion. Even though I said forward is always the answer not if the other bits aren't in place. So if yes. you haven't got rhythm, relaxation, contact, then it's no good just saying more forward, more forward, more forward. Mm. That doesn't work. Mm. You have to be going forward to something, i.e. contact. Yep. Yes. Yeah, so now I've forgotten what the question was. I've got so caught up in the, the German training scale. Well, no, because it was, it was talking about the fundamentals. Yeah, well, that is the fundamental yeah. to me. And yeah. the same if you ever have a training problem as a rider or a coach, Mm. try to analyse which part of the training scale is missing, falling down, and go back down the scale and try to, you know, re-establish that bit that's missing. So, yeah. Yep, yep. That's the way I try and approach it, yeah. (laughs) Have you got a book that you'd recommend? I love Ingrid Klimka's book, Training a Young Horse. I think Mm -hmm. that it's such a wonderful book for riders to read because... You know, not everyone does start out on young horses. I mean, I've been fortunate in that, you know, I've sort of progressed into training young horses and and after riding for a very long time, mm. had to really understand or st- and still trying to understand yep. the best way to train young horses. And I, I think I've got a fair idea of it now. I mean, I've trained numerous young horses, but you never stop learning, of course. Mm-hmm. And I would love to go and just, spend some time in Germany just sitting on the sidelines watching at one of the big barns where a lot of young horses are started, whether Leone's Place or Susan Meissner's or someone like that who has a very good reputation for starting young horses, to just really understand the fundamentals because every young horse is slightly different and presents a challenge. But Ingrid's book, Ingrid Klimper's book and the videos are just fantastic training tools Mm-hmm. Whether you mm-hmm. have a young horse or whether you just are an amateur rider who wants to improve their riding, I think the fundamentals that she illustrates are just so good. But yeah, that would be my choice. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Good. Good. Now, you've talked about um, your two horses that you're bringing on, planning for mm-hmm. Bruce and George next year. Is there anything else? Yeah. You, have you got any young riders coming on, or your focus is more on those two horses this year, next year? No, I, I, I've actually fresh out of young horses at the moment. I've, after having years of, of riding, <laughs> usually having a young horse 
you know, coming along. And yep. so my doncier mare, you know, like she went through the ranks with me, five-year-old, six-year-old, etc. I have a three-year-old being broken in, but I probably will sell him. He's probably not for me. Mm-hmm. And I sold I sold three young horses earlier this year, a four-year-old and a five-year-old, both mares who I was riding, and I'm sort of a little bit sad that I sold the four-year-old in particular. <laughs> <laughs> I should have possibly kept it for myself. But anyway, yep. Yep. when you breed them, you have to do that. Yes. And I'm actually trying not to be riding four-year-olds anymore because there's always a risk factor when you ride young horses. Mm-hmm. And as I discovered last year, I don't bounce as well as I used to. So... I am trying to keep my backside off of just green, broken or four-year-old horses yeah. <laughs> sit on something slightly more civilised. Sure. Now I can understand that. Yeah. But I'm a bit sad about it because I love riding young horses. I really, really love that journey of mm. a four to six. It's just so wonderful. It's so exciting when they get something for the first time, like a first flying change or you know, you start them with leg yielding and it's easy and you just think, wow, I must have done something right. They've actually got that. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. All right. Now, Karen, can you sum up your philosophy into a lesson today? Uh, The philosophy that I have in a lesson? Mm, No, I think the philosophy that you generally have with horses, you know, which you've talked about. Yeah. And with training. You know, just to, yeah, just summing up. Okay, mm. well, I suppose my approach to my horses is I'm probably guilty of being a little bit soft on them, to be quite honest. <laughs> I'm fairly empathetic to them, yep. and so I'm, I, which doesn't make me a great disciplinarian on the ground. And I, you know, I do believe that you have to be soft and kind to them, but not let them walk all over you on the ground. I mean, yep. they're very big horses, the ones that we have. So, you know, you don't want them jumping around. But I tend to use other people. I'm lucky I have, for example, at the moment, a very experienced horseman who helps me with the groundwork when they're youngsters and then breaks them in for me. And I think that's really important. You have to put that time in to teach them manners on the ground. Yes. But then when they're broken in, I think... You have to teach them their job and you have to do it in a way that they learn to like their job. Mm-hmm. In other words, you know, not drill them into the ground when you start riding them. You have to teach them each task and give them time to process that information, whatever it may be, and then build on that yes. progressively without drilling them. I find it really distressing when I see horses that you go around and they look mechanical and shut down. Mm-hmm. For me, they have to have a bit of vivacity and personality and yeah, and yeah. maybe sometimes that means they make a mistake because they're a little bit exuberant or something. But I would rather that than have something that is drilled and an automaton. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, I can understand. Karen, how can people contact you? <laughs> Not via our website at the moment. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I've just managed to... Um, stuff it up comprehensively (laughs) and I'm not a tech person so (laughs) someone's going to have to help me to resurrect that one (laughs) so the best way if they wanted to contact me is via we have an elite warm bloods which is our our stud name Mm -hmm. facebook page okay or they can just contact me personally on facebook just private message me yeah yeah I'm around out there 
they could also contact you. We'll have a page for your interview, so it will be horsechats.com slash Karen Cromlin. So your details mm-hmm. will be available there with the links and we'll put your Facebook link through to that. Yeah, that would be best. As I say, unfortunately, <laughs> the website isn't working we at can. the moment, so <laughs> that one's not going to help them. <laughs> well, you've got great skills at breeding and great skills at riding, great skills at coaching, so we can sort of forgive you for not having brilliant technical skills. I think that's okay. Yeah, unfortunately, <laughs> like all of us of that, of that era, I didn't grow up with some technical things, so, um, <laughs> but it always comes last in the list of things I want to do is yes. updating websites and yep. Yep. things like that. <laughs> all right, Karen, thanks very much for your time today. I'm sure we've really appreciated it. No, thank you, Glennis. It was lovely speaking to you. Yeah, and it's great to know that, you know, you're, you're one of the crazy obsessed children. So when we meet yeah, crazy right. obsessed children, they'll, you know, they'll be able to go on and do something and uh, improve the breeding and improve the world of horses, which is good. Well, you know, I think it just goes to show also because I gave up riding for nearly 10 years at one stage. It, mm. it just goes to show, though, that if it's in there, it's very hard to give it up completely. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes for sure. Yep, yep. Okay. All right, good to talk to you today, Karen, and hopefully we'll talk again soon. Yep, thanks, Thank Karen. Bye. Bye. If you've enjoyed this chat, then please comment, rate and subscribe. If you'd like any changes or recommendations for guests, then please contact us through horsechats.com. And while you're online, have a look at the government accredited courses at internationalhorsecollege.com. Registered Training Organisation 31352. Remember that our comments and instructions are general in nature and do not take into consideration your individual horses or your individual ability and circumstances. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please leave your comment below.